Today's episode of Recapables Westworld on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A. And they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants and business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Please go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise $250,000, and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. We have some questions. Then I will endeavor to have some answers. Welcome to the Recapables Westworld, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, David Shoemaker. Today, we're talking season three, episode seven, the penultimate episode of the season, Past Pawn. We're doing this before airing. Without the benefit of subtitles or Reddit groupthink or a safety net, I am joined for my laboratory debriefing this week by Ringer Yakuza boss Chris Ryan and, as always, the man with the drone floating innocently over his shoulder, Danny Heifetz. Chris, what's your tweet-length review of Past Pawn? I'm no Mel Kuyper Jr., but I think Dolores' draft stock is falling. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, and that's what you think happened this week on Westworld. Now here's everything that happened on this week's Westworld. Analysis. Our guy Mushashi is in the club, bottle full of bub with his Yakuza crew, when he gets a call from Charlotte, who looks slightly less crispy than when we last saw her, and who says Dolores' plan is to let them die, so she's jumping ship, and she sent some friends to make that clear. It's Clementine and Hinario, presumably newly printed by Maeve slash Sirak. They shrug off gunfire and kill all the Yakuza, including Mushashi, and they leave with his decapitated head. Now we're off to Sonora, Mexico, with Dolores and Caleb. Oh yeah, Caleb. This episode is mostly about him, I have to tell you that, but it's also not really about that much, so more on that later. He and Dolores are riding on horseback through the desert, and Caleb is like, uh, so I forget, did you ever actually tell me what your plan is? And are, are we going to, like, kill a lot more people or something? And Dolores is like, I mean, probably. Hosts are almost wiped out, but people, people, you guys still have a chance. And I nominate you to lead them. Caleb says, nah, I'm just a construction worker, which is a really weird thing for a guy who just took a private plane into the Mexican desert on a two-person and paramilitary secret mission to say, but uh, whatever. Dolores is like, come on, I think you'll find this place interesting. Who are these people? These are the people who destroyed your life. More on that later. So Dolores has her drone check out the layout, and then she no-scopes all the security dudes there dead. It's so hard to get good ex-military security help these days. Sheesh. So they go inside, and Caleb is like, I feel like I've been here before, and I was getting uh, treatment or brainwashing. More on that later. And Dolores says she needs to find Solomon, who was the previous iteration of her hobo. In case you forgot, seems that Solomon ran so many projections, it, quote, developed some anomalies, unquote, which I guess is a euphemism for getting schizophrenia like its creator, a.k.a. Ciroc's brother, Jean Me. An insane AI. Right. 
Caleb helpfully points out Chekhov's military-grade EMP before they start a conversation with Solomon, who predicted this, as well as a trillion other options. And also, he knows Caleb and everybody else ever. Oh, except Dolores, who, of course, is a robot just like you, Solomon. She says, nope, not even, says Solomon. Dolores asks for his help to tear down the New World Order, but apparently she doesn't know that NWO is for-life brother. She tells him he knows what they're doing isn't working, but Solomon says, hey, it worked on Caleb over there. More on that later. <sighs> Solomon leads him to the room where they keep all the outliers in glass coffins, which cool and, and, and straight through a hologram Ciroc left for his brother, who's in a glass coffin right there in the middle of everybody. Dolores is going to leave, but Caleb has to stay behind and wait for the new strategy, the one Jean Meme made right before Ciroc threw him into the glass coffin. But what if you don't come back, asks Caleb, and Dolores is like, take the new strategy and lead with it or something. I don't know, guys. I don't know what her plan is either. Outside, here comes Maeve in a helicopterish thing, and she's uh, telepathically talking shit with Dolores. But they're not just sparring verbally for long, because it's time for a kitchen slugfest. Why are you helping Sirox? says Dolores. Why are you on the human side? And Maeve says, don't think you know me. And they fight out the door where Maeve's helicopter is waiting to shoot at Dolores. It misses. Dolores has her own drone, though. Remember that from earlier. And her own remote gun, too. So they're going mano a mano or katana versus knife with occasional gunfire uh, shooting down and, 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 until Dolores gets her arm shot off. All right, before we get to the whole bloody arm thing, let's see what everybody else is up to. Uh, Bernard and Stubbs are back at the Inner Journeys Recovery Center, and Stubbs is pointing a gun at William. Why? Because Stubbs is a host, much to William's surprise. He knew about Bernard, but not Stubbs. Not Stubbs! Why are we here again, asked Stubbs, and everybody else watching. To get William? Nope. They're here to um, see what Sir Rock was up to. Uh, the William thing was just a coincidence, and the stuff Charlotte stuck him with, it was a chemical Trojan horse of some sort, a way that Dolores could get into the network, which is where Bernard apparently is at this very moment, too, so it seems like there's going to be a little bit of duplication of responsibilities one way or the other. Anyway, uh, the big reveal here is that William is deceased. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. The real big reveal is that he's not deceased. He's alive and well, but it's just that the Rehoboam crew label everyone who fails the reconditioning process here dead. Bernard has figured out Sirach's secret plan, which is kind of the same thing as Sirach's regular plan, which was to save the world by reprogramming society. And hey, William, it looks like you helped him. But to do that, he'd need high-grade biometric data. Yeah, I sold it to him. The parks needed capital, and that French fuck paid a fortune for little anonymous data. The end of the world came knocking, and you let it in. Stop acting like a savior, Bernard. You're not Arnold. They leave the facility, and William's like, oh, here's the new game, a.k.a. I'm going to kill all the hosts and atone for my sins. And they leave, and they go to a gas station where William finds a shotgun and pulls it on Bernard and Stubbs. Okay, okay, okay. Finally, let's talk about Caleb. The whole episode is built around Caleb's mysterious backstory, which is really just a confusing story because his memory is messed up. So let's cut through all the haze here. Basically, Caleb and Francis were deployed to, to Crimea for the Russian Civil War. Nothing civil about it. It turns out the dialogue was as bad as his memory. They were targeting insur insurgents to satellite bomb them, but guess what? They were getting bombed too. Then Caleb and Francis were, they captured the leader of the insurgency and Francis gets killed. And if you think that the leader of the insurgency was a little bit too duded up for an insurgent leader in Crimea. Well, you're perceptive. See, after his service, Caleb was brought in for reconditioning and subsequently repurposed into an outlier hunter this fall on USA who would go and track down other outliers and bring them in for reconditioning alongside his partner, dun-dun-dun, Francis, who didn't die. Of course, he didn't die in the war at all. They were discharged after the, that explosion in Crimea, and they found work back home rounding up dudes on the Rico app, which was part of the Rehoboam system all along, BT-dubs. One day, they get the order to snatch Veronica Mars's dad, who apparently works for the drug company that makes the holy drug wafers Caleb and Francis are popping right now. 
Uh, Veronica Mars's dad has run afoul of Rehoboam, it seems, and he, now he's on the chopping block. So they've kidnapped him, and they're going to kill him. Francis leaves to check the perimeter, and the drunk company guy offers Caleb $3 million to let him go, and he warns him that they're going to pay Francis to kill him. To kill him? He's they're going to kill you, Caleb, because that's how they roll. So Caleb asks Francis if it's true, and Francis is all, after all, we've been through. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm going to kill you. But Caleb kills him first, Whew, and he kills the drug company guy, too. So anyway, back in Sonora, Caleb screams at Solomon for making him do it. But bygones are bygones because Solomon just finished computing the new strategy and he gives it to Caleb and says, one warning, but just then Dolores crawls in with her one arm and hits the button for the military grade EMP and Dolores and Maven Solomon all lose power. And a robotic voice says at the end, Caleb, I have some instructions for you. Do you know where you are? Okay, that is past pawn. A lot happened this week. Uh, we got a lot of uh, Caleb's backstory first and foremost, but we also got that Maeve Dolores showdown we've all been waiting for. Was it uh, was it anticlimactic, climactic, uh, semi-climactic? I don't really know. Uh, we got a lot about uh, we got William, we got Bernard hanging out at the someplace in Mexico, not a beach, sadly. Uh, we got a lot that was happening. Chris, what was your big takeaway from this week? What is the first like like if you were if you were to if someone said what is Westworld about? What was Westworld about tonight or last night? What would you tell them? You know, I like most penultimate episodes, I think I would say that this is the the final assembly of the chessboard before the final moves. And I, I personally thought that the the fight between Maven Dolores like delivered. I, I actually could have could have gone for a longer one. I could have mm-hmm. gone for more more drone combat, more swords, more knives. And I felt like the actual um, the moment where Maeve kind of comes through the the garage door rising and the sun's behind her and she kind of comes in that was like a legitimately like iconic moment in a in a fight scene. So I, I I thought it really delivered. I still I'm I'm finding myself just like six inches to two feet behind the show in terms of always knowing like what's going on or mm-hmm. what's at stake. But I think that that's sort of part of the charm and part of what they're trying to do because you're never supposed to really know what is real and what's not real. I agree with that. I'm going to let you jump in here in a second. I think that that's what you always find yourself sort of tripping over is admiring the puzzle that they're building, but also sort of there's just a sort of discomfort there. You know, it's it's or, or wondering, I guess, whether or not the puzzle is too kind of acute or complicated for its own good. Right. I mean, is there any like what would have been. What would have been like the like the the net negative of if Maven just showed up with her whole team behind her? Except right. we're we're gonna except you know we got the the two. Uh, well, we'll get into that later. But the entry the the opening scene had two of people who two of the people who were presumably in her team, and then whether or not Hector or whoever is this like the, is another is also there. Is this going to be like a mystery like a shocking reveal in episode eight that is not actually that shocking? Like it's all sort of like it's it's a big. It's a big contraption, and there's all these moving parts. But like, you know, if the net result is a marble, a marble rolling out at the bottom, I'm not sure if that's you know going to be worth all the moving parts. Um, Danny, what did you think about this week? I mean, I really liked a lot of parts of it. I could watch yeah. Dolores no scope people with the Halo sniper rifle yeah. for forever. I love that part. Love the stuff with the drone. I couldn't believe they put Caleb's story in Crimea. Thought that was an unbelievable <laughs> choice, and. Uh, we can get into that, but I did. I I was kind of confused by the ending. I'm not gonna lie. Like when Dolores hit the button and her and Maeve just drop, I wasn't. It wasn't like a suspenseful confusion. I was like, "What just happened?" And I think that that kind of left a little bit. I liked the episode a lot, 
but the ending leaving me confused about what I had just watched was a little, I felt like everyone else who watches it and is like, what's going on? Like, I felt that for the first time in a while. So it was a little humbling. You know, I think that the issue with this show and it's, 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 it's the challenge it poses and it's also its secret ingredient is it removes our ability as viewers to, uh, emotionally engage with any of the action that we're seeing yeah. so you want to uh feel bad for caleb or you want to have a rooting interest in dolores versus Ma- the dolores versus Maeve fight or any of the really big emotional crescendos that this show has but over and over again it's taught us actually what you're seeing is not what you think it is so i think at this point danny we're probably almost at the point where we're like yeah i'm not going to get too caught up heartstring wise in what i'm seeing because Probably next week or next season or whatever, I'm going to find out that what I was watching was something of an illusion or it was actually somebody else in someone else's body. And it almost makes it more of an intellectual enterprise then. I think that's exactly right. So actually, I was <laughs> uh, my, my mom has been kind and she's been trying to uh, catch up on my life and what I actually do for work and money. It's very complicated to explain. And so she asked me the other day, what is Westworld and what is it about and do people like it? And I was trying to explain that a lot of people like it, but a lot of people also don't. And she was like, why did people not like it? And I had to think about it for a second. I realized this just isn't a character driven story. And a thing that hammered really hammered into me after this episode was that the characters aren't relatable you know, as much as I really wish they would be. And that really hammered into me exactly when you said in that fight scene that I just felt like, even though Maeve is supposed to be the most relatable character in the show, mm-hmm. and she's, you know, the mom of a, trying to get back to her daughter and her motivation for trying to kill Dolores and this still felt so opaque to me. And I think that is the part of this episode that if anything did frustrate me is I was a little confused about why everyone was doing what they were doing. Like literally every character was kind of confusing me about what they were doing in this. And that hadn't all happened to me at the same time in a while. So even though I liked a lot of what I was seeing, I did realize that all of the layers were equally gray to me at one point. I agree with that. I think that this this season has been at its best when it's been an action movie. I think dating going all the way back to was it episode three when it was just like, oh, yeah, OK, this is just like a sleek. This is Blade Runner. And when it's yeah. like just when it's propelled, when it's being propelled forward by by just its action then we can we we don't like i don't need to sit around wondering like thinking deeply about the technology of the drone and the no scope rifle and all that i don't need to wonder whether or not that exists although when it happens sort of ponderously and when the scene ends with caleb staring at dolores as if he doesn't know what just happened i know then, I know. then you're then you're left you're sort of wondering if you're supposed to be wondering right i mean yeah. it's like it's not but if it's just like bloodshed and then there's like a katana fight like i'm good and i understand the, i understand even if i don't know who's strictly the good guy and the bad guy i understand like what's happening enough right it's this is much clearer than you know michael bay's transformers movies but uh i still but but i but i do but there is still something sort of sort of lacking when, whenever i mean the, the the more kind of philosophical it gets um the the more that we're kind of left in the mire and we're going to get to the we, we we're going to get to the ending and we, we need to get really we need to jump into Caleb. But I will just say this one thing. But and when we were previewing this episode earlier this week or last week, we were talking, we we compared it, Danny and I did to um to what was the Akech episode from last season? Akana no Mai or, no, or Kiksuya, sorry, Akana no Moi was the was the Shogun World one. Um Kiksuya. 
this is a lot of this is a different one. This is a much different thing. The way that Caleb was treated and the way that that uh, that um, Kiksuya went went off. For one thing, because it, this wasn't strictly about Caleb. There was a lot of other stuff going on in this episode. But also because this was an action. This is an action movie now. It's not just a philosophical a philosophical thing. So we can like be left with with Akechta's kind of inner philosophical struggle as the big reveal, sort of, right? I mean, it's like that's what we're that's what we dealt with for an episode and it felt justified last season. And this season, it just felt like they told us everything about Caleb. I mean, this episode told us all these things about Caleb strictly to knock down the pins at the end of the episode, right? I didn't feel like I'd been teased along all season, even though they'd given us a little bit. The difference I would say between Kiksuya and this episode is that Kiksuya, what they did so well and what Lost did back in the day so well was that with Kiksuya, you really were convinced about the love that Akechita had with his, with his wife, even though they had just kind of introduced that whole storyline. You're like, oh, wow, there's a human love relationship here. And I think the issue, the reason that it rang hollow, some parts of this rang hollow for me, where I wasn't really blown away by Caleb and Francis's relationship. Like, oh, wow, these are best friends. Like, these two pals, they'll never turn on each other. I never got that at any point this season. Like, I was told it over and over again, but I never saw, I, I was never shown these are best buds. Well, this is also an interesting pivot point for the show because it's when it, in some ways, it's exemp- it exemplifies how the show has flipped from being a world historical interrogation of Western mythology, like the you know American mm-hmm. West mythology, to a kind of generic, undetermined point in the future. So even though Caleb's story probably resonates in terms of it being like, you know, about PTSD and about people, about a lot of guys going overseas to fight in wars that they don't understand mm-hmm. for ends that don't make sense, that, you know, it, it, to them. Uh, we don't really like have. I don't think anybody watching the show is like, ah, yes, the Crimea, of course, you know. And so that's like a huge difference between watching Kiksuya, where you're like, wow, they're really like kind of kicking the tires on like the, the Native Americans in the Wild West, you know, and what how we think of them and how they were treated and and the role that they used to play and the role that we kind of think of them now versus like Caleb wearing the most generic clothes in the most generic hot zone and. Even the missions that he is on are, I wouldn't even be surprised, honestly, if it's revealed that he's never been to the Crimea. Because I'm like, well, yeah. what, what is happening? Like, that's not like a real thing. Like, why is Veronica Mars's dad a Crimean warlord? No, yeah, no, yeah, none of that happened. So let, let's break this down. Yeah, let's go. The through, o- yes. I'll say this up front: the only evidence that we have that he's actually been to Crimea was because Veronica Mars's dad said. Uh, isn't it interesting that you're doing the same job in the outside world that you were doing for the government? But I guess yeah. even that could have been him saying you never had either job, right? Or you never had the first job. They just made you think you did. Um, but I agree. There is a lot of super generic stuff. And I and, and to, just to, to double down on what Chris said, and then I'm going to turn this over to you, Danny, is that you're right. They were kind of deconstructing uh, our narrative tropes. And by doing that, our expectations of them with Kiksuya and with a lot of stuff in previous seasons. And this just seemed to solely rely on our preconceived notions about like what army buddies mean to each other. Yeah. Right. And what like the experience and the shit is like to make any of it make sense. And there's no, it's like the opposite of deconstruction. But anyway, Danny, let's start at the, I guess we started at the end. Right. And actually let's, let's say what we believe actually happened to Caleb uh, prior to, you know, episode one of this season. You want to start at the end, even though they told us like 10 times in the start at the beginning? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the, all right. So 
Well, I I think I'm going to start with the fake story because I, I don't 100% know where the fake story ends. Okay, start wherever you want. That's great. So the, the fakes to the story that Caleb has been telling himself and was reprogrammed to believe was that Caleb and his friend Kid Cuddy and apparently like skinny Seth Rogen are this specialized military group in the Russian Civil War in Crimea. And they are, I guess, tapping people on the back and leaving handprints, which leads to drone strikes. And then they're taking these limbic drugs to, to help them deal with it and stuff. And then the Russian insurgents that they'd been hunting down, then hunt them down and blow them up. And then Caleb and Francis are the only members of their unit that survive. I guess skinny Seth Rogen gets blown up. And then Caleb and Francis capture the leader of this insurgency and take them hostage. But then they get ambushed by the insurgents and then the insurgents kill Kid Cudi. That's what he thought. The ending of that was certainly not true. What we know is not true is that they did not stay in Russia after the insurgents attacked them. They, we know that the leader of that insurgency was not the thing. That's not what happened. What I believe really happened is that these are two experiences that were stitched together. The st- I think the stuff in Russia did happen, but that after that explosion where his unit was bombed, they were sent home, they were discharged, because this is kind of coming from Solomon. So, I mean, as much as we can trust the big AI ball, what actually happened is that Caleb and Francis were the only ones that survived. They went home, they survived the war, they were honorably, honorably discharged, and then they started doing the RICO hit so that they're deemed outliers, which is probably why they were deemed soldiers in the first place. So Solomon has them as outliers collect the other outliers. And in retrospect, that makes sense that Kid Cudi, of all people, was going to be an outlier. I feel like he, they'd, Jonathan Nolan was like, hey, Kid Cudi, play a normal person. But so Kid Cudi and Caleb start doing all this stuff and they're collecting people. And then eventually they do a hit to collect this pharmaceutical executive who's the guy we've been seeing. And then they're not supposed to talk to him. Caleb starts talking to him and then they give Kid Cudi a hit to pay for Caleb, like pay him to kill Caleb. This pharmaceutical exec tells Caleb that'll happen. They have their little standoff and then Caleb kills Kid Cudi. So I think that both those things are and, true, but then they reprogrammed him. Yes. And then they kill Veronica Mars's dad. So then they reprogrammed Caleb to just believe that Kid Cudi died back in Crimea and they kind of buried all those memories and morphed them back in with his existing military service. Why they did that and still needed him, I'm a little confused about because his whole thing is I don't do personals and I don't do that work anymore and I just do construction stuff. So I don't really know why they had to do it, honestly. It's, it's a thing I'm not really sold on. But. Why after? Uh, we know why he's back on the street, right? Because they used, they used the outliers to go hunt down other outliers. Yes. That much was established. That much, I think, we believe. But then you're right. After the incident where he killed Kid Cudi, why not just put him into deep freeze then? That's the, They don't use him for that anymore, so I don't really see why he's valuable robbing ATMs. That's the part of this I'm confused about. And again, as much as I love the show, the part of it I'm upset about is that this is episode seven. There's only eight episodes this season. I have been conditioned by Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and The Wire and m- most shows you watch that the penultimate episode of a season is the one where, oh my God, like this is the climax of the season. And I think that there are just certain basic parts that I'm still a little confused on which I, I mean i'm literally just confused why caleb was important after this whole reveal why he mattered at all and if i don't get that i'm still a little iffy on why he matters to dolores's plan and why he specifically is the person dolores has picked to be the leader i mean as you're saying it this didn't occur to me the whole at any point during the season and particularly not watching the show but this episode but is it possible that caleb exists solely to somehow wrangle dolores like is he is he doing his job? But Dolores is the outlier that he that 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 
Rehoboam is having him tracked down now? I was thinking the exact opposite. I was wondering if Dolores's chance interaction with Caleb was actually her finding him on purpose. That's what I'm beginning to wonder. And yeah, I mean, this this episode definitely left more questions than answers, which I think is kind of bold going into the season finale because they have to stick the landing. And if they stick the landing, I'll be extremely excited. And yeah, very proud. I mean, I think that there's something to be said. This is this kind of goes back to what I, we were talking about with like, you can't really watch Westworld with the same brain that you watch Star Wars or you watch The Matrix because we we keep thinking that we're watching some sort of messianic savior figure and then that person turns out to be bad but also good it, it's like they are always like basically rotating the axis of this show caleb should be some sort of hero right he should be some sort of um they find luke skywalker in a desert they find caleb in the desert of los angeles or wherever they're you know what this city of the future but I, I still am trying to like wrap my hands around like what is he, he's leaving that room now. He's leaving that facility to do what? I think he's going to go pack some meat with William. They got that artificial meat, the slabs. They'll just go get a couple steaks. But no, I think that it's Bernard kind of explained that at the end. I, I think that what's happening there is that Dolores is like lead and he apparently wants him to lead this revolution. I, I think what happened is they turned Solomon off. Like I think that they're off the rails now of these projections and the AI is no longer going to lead everything. And now Dolores wants Caleb to lead a revolution of people. And I think the twist that the show is putting on it is it's not Caleb's leading a thing for freedom, but I think Dolores deep down knows freedom for humans will lead to the extinction of human beings. Like right. she doesn't want like the same way she told William in episode four, I promised I'd let you destroy yourself. And then Bernard says, Dolores has this poetic sensibility, which the whole show came down to that, I guess, and saying that Dolores isn't going to destroy humankind herself. She's going to let Caleb do it. So I think that by the process of leading the revolution, succeed or fail, it will lead to the end of humankind. I think that's the plan. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, 2 times, and if you're completely insane, 3 times. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you, but the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Back to yours. Let's talk about Solomon. Solomon was turned off at the end. Uh, the lights went out. Maybe it's just a power outage. I don't know. Maybe they have no, a backup okay, sorry. generator. Let's, okay, let's, let's save that. Let's save the big button. Let, let's put a pin in that. Sorry. Talking about Solomon. What was Solomon's? What what is Solomon's power now that he has been supplanted by Rehoboam? What what is Solomon doing on a day to day basis? 
That's the question, isn't that could be a whole bottle episode itself? Like he's just, I don't know, calculating pi to the trillionth digit. I had no idea what he's doing. That's actually the machine that's uh, behind Basketball Reference. So Solomon's <laughs> just been, he's just been calculating wind shares and VORP for you know the last couple of NBA seasons. Um, so we don't know what Solomon's doing. We just know that Solomon is a previous iteration of Rehoboam. We've already established that a million times over, and that it's basically the AI version of of Sirach's brother. Yes. Uh, that's the thing is Sirach's brother was like in cryo freeze in the, in the center of this thing. Was it not? Cause there were two versions of it. It there didn't was, seem like that. Yeah. There was the Solomon in the empty room. And then there was the one that like Caleb was yelling at and be like, you son of a bitch. And it's like, okay, like who are you mad at? And like, is this also Solomon? And is that Sirach's brother just frozen right there? And is he actually the guy running this ship? Like there were a p- few parts of it that I'm, very curious about. Well, the, mo- okay. the most Jesse Pinkman moment of this entire episode was when he's like, an insane AI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That seemed a little bit a like, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. There seemed to be like, yeah, it was just a very Jesse Pinkman sort of rea- series of reactions to everything that was going on. Even the sort of stalking away at the very end was like, it was kind of hard to extricate the two characters. But the, so, well, the big idea this week, by the way, we, we haven't even said the word is reprogramming, but that word, but, but that matters because, Caleb was obviously reprogrammed to from, you know, what whatever really happened in his backstory to believing what he believes now. We don't know what the last run of programming was really meant to accomplish except just to wipe his memory. But also, Brother Sirach has been reprogrammed from a outlier himself, from a faulty human being to, I guess, just kind of being the AI in a machine that is no longer the primary uh, machine. Um, if anything else, it seems to be have just sort of been decommissioned and left uh in charge of rehabbing the other outliers is that do you, is it is it is it possible that's just what what solomon is doing now yeah i i have I is was it so possible that it's that simple this. i guess i think it is i think it is possible i i was confused for a couple of reasons one do you keep solomon in the same room as all those bodies i feel like you just want to keep them in different places at least for like temperature reasons i don't know about that <laughs> and then i was also just confused about Dolores told Solomon, was like, I want to change your plan. I want to reprogram you. And he's like, no, why would I do that? And she's like, should humans only have intelligence? And he's like, oh, you know, I hadn't thought of that. Sure. And I was like, this is super powerful AI who was like, we're nothing alike. She asked it one question. He was like, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I was. But don't you think maybe that's like, I, to me, that was just a moment where all of these characters, whoever they are, just want to get back in the game. Like they want to be <laughs> part of the game. And even so if they get sidelined, if they get put in cryo freeze, if they're an AI that's maybe uh, run up against a better, shinier model, if they're given an opportunity to reinsert themselves into the game, it's better than nothing. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that the, I think that there's God, there's just too much happening in this episode to, you know, it was funny because two, two, two episodes ago, we got this episode genre, which was sort of a beautiful mess in so many ways. Um, but, you know, I think that the, my, I mean, my biggest hang up with it is that it was supposed to be jumping around from literally from genre to genre and from movie reference to movie reference. And in fact, it didn't feel like it really spent time with any of them. This feels like five movies. This episode feels like five movies crammed into one, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is like that whole interaction with Solomon was just like 2001, except like without the pathos, right? I mean, and of course we end up with like a scene out of Yojimbo or whatever at the end. I mean, there's so much happening um, in this, in this episode that it's hard to sort of spend time, uh, spend an appropriate amount of time breaking down 
Each Speaking moment. Speaking of other movies, did you guys, was I the only one who saw them fighting in the kitchen and was just thinking about the velociraptors in Jurassic Park the whole <laughs> <Yeah>. time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a, it just, uh, my, my mind was all over the place during, during this one. All right. I listen, just kept waiting we, for soup ladles to hit the ground. And let's, let's try to, let's try to stick with the structure a tiny bit here. Is there anything about Caleb? So we know Caleb, we've gone through the backstory. The idea now, based on basically what Bernard said at the end, was that Dolores isn't going to destroy humanity. She's going to let him do it. But she's putting him in charge. But, but Dolores also herself sa- says humanity still has a chance, right? The title of the episode is Past Pawn. And that is in chess. When a pawn makes it all the way to the other end of the board, it becomes a queen, which is the most powerful piece. And Caleb is obviously the past pawn here, where he's, you know, he's the outlier who escaped, who worked, and now he's come all the way back and now is apparently in charge and the leader. I think it's worth mentioning, though, that like they've referenced, I I hate to do this, but they've referenced The Wire like four or five times this season and famously one of the theses of The Wire is like the pawns never make it to the other end of the board and that I think there is, I mean, they literally made another Wire reference this week when they, when he laughs and says, you guys need a union. Like there were just so many ones littering this and I think that it's worthwhile to mention that Dolores seems to still be using Caleb and Maeve kind of calls her out on that well, and that you've turned a young man before. So I, 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 I just, I'm very hesitant that just cause Caleb is a, the past pawn, so to speak, and whether he has leadership or not, I don't think that whatever he intends for this to turn out, I don't think it's going to turn out the way he thinks. I don't think there's any other. Well, I mean, this show has proven me wrong time and time again. I don't think there's any other coherent way to say that. I mean, to, to read this episode, unless, you're talking about, uh, I mean, unless the idea is that Charlotte is putting one, is using uh, Caleb, right? I mean, because there's because she's saying, I mean, like Dolores. I just point out, I mean, Dolores, yeah, because she's saying opposite things. I mean, to to what to him and, and and about humanity than other people are saying about her, and then to what her plan seemingly has to be. There's, I don't see any other way for, for this to get kind of wrapped up in one other episode. Well, she, she uh, doesn't like people. Why she does doesn't she care. Why? Well, she doesn't like humans. But her plan to like replenish the world with hosts doesn't seem to be really going in a constructive direction either, right? I mean, I it's I don't think I feel like there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of real questions about what her plan is. What what do you, Danny? What do you think her plan is? I think her plan is to, if you shut off all the AI and then you have Caleb try to lead some anarchy in the streets, uh, people are going to nuke themselves to death or just lead to just mass extinction of humanity, and then she can beam everyone down from the valley beyond, and then they can like live uh amidst the wreckage and the meek will inherit the earth and she you think she needs a human to do that yes well okay listen i do think i, I don't know I, I don't know that i totally co-sign everything that danny just said i do think that there's like dolores bernard was right in that like dolores is not dolores is covered in blood but she doesn't want the blood on her hands right i mean she like she's yes. like it like she she is a she believes herself to be a righteous actor and so she will manipulate, manipulate, manipulate to have somebody else pull the trigger of the gun, except for the one that she shot Dr. Ford with at the end of season one. But um, but yeah, I think that that's, it makes sense that she, even if she, her plan was to destroy humanity, she would, she's like Dr. Ford. She like, she's creating a situation in which the end result is inevitable. But then by that token, then what is it? I don't want to jump too far ahead in the episode. Jump, please. Because, we're all we're, we're done with an outline. Let's just go. Well, I'm curious then, like, is her hitting the button on the box 
a leap of faith that Caleb will make the right decision if if he comes to Caleb mm. needing to resurrect one of these two, or if it comes to Caleb at least going forward and fulfilling the plan that Solomon has downloaded to him. Is that essentially what she's doing? She's taking a giant like that's her leap into the great the great beyond. Like that's her saying, I have to trust one person. It's going to be this guy because if it's me. I'm not if it's me, but it, I, I, one thing that we've seen over and over again with Caleb is that Caleb has been manipulated and betrayed by control groups, by 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 the the power structures above him. Whether it's um, mm. the woman in the lab training him to think that he that Francis died in in Crimea, whether it's Francis himself, whether it's whoever it is, and and even even this app that he was using to um to make money, he finds out oh that was just a form of control. When is he going to wake up to the idea that Dolores is controlling him? Um, and what happens when question. he does? I mean, Liam said that to him straight up when they were in the tunnel a couple episodes ago. Liam, who sucked, was made a good point, and he was like, "She used me. Have you considered she's using you?" So the question's been well, posed I think, to him. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and as a viewer, even the best case scenario, the most positive reading of what's going on, she's still using him. She's just using him to a positive end, right? Yeah, I mean, put it, I mean, she I, certainly like, hasn't. She hasn't told him what's happening. She hasn't like let him in on like the go, uh, on how the how things really stand. She, all she's doing is letting him carry her her duffel bag of guns, and I guess she he he doesn't even get to carry him when he's on the horse. You know, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, he literally didn't ask her what the revolution was about until they were about to descend. I mean, we're talking they were on a plane and they had to find two horses after they were on a plane, which God knows how they found the two horses. And then we get all like 99% of the way there. They're in the drive when he's like, so what is this all about? And it's like, yeah, you had a whole plane ride to talk about this, man. But I, I think I think the best way to explain why I don't trust Dolores is because imagine the reverse. Imagine if Dolores really genuinely cares about human freedom and expression. And we never saw that change in her like that. We never saw the moment where she changed her mind and saw the goodness of people. And now it's just all about human revolution and cast off your chains, people like that doesn't make any sense. So I feel like there has to there's still an ulterior motive. And if I ha if I could take my own leap of faith here, it's that going into the season finale, what's going to have to tie all these buttons together is the, the Chekhov's simulation where they did a whole simulation episode in episode two. And I will be absolutely shocked if they don't come back to that in the finale and tying this together of how Maeve and Dolores come back has to be something about the, the world Rehoboam is running. And there has to be some kind of mirror world action. These worlds have to be tied together in a war in a way that is complex enough to answer all these questions, but simple enough. We understand what the hell just happened. Yeah. I mean, but it kind of now that throws into question all of the stakes that we've been dealing with so far. I, that of any of, of everything, I feel like they can probably finagle their way through that, but it is a lot to sort of, speculate about let's let's chris brought up the the button at the end let's just talk about the button at the end um dolores great, great, and, great labeling on that button it was like <laughs> unambiguous as to what was going to happen she was like <laughs> well yeah and unambiguous i mean it's clearly her back her back was like literally against the wall when she smacked it <laughs> yeah i don't i i can only assume foreshadowing and 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 whatnot taking into account that, that taking into account that that the button that Xerox had in his pocket all season is just a mini version of whatever this is the giant button version that they, they actually have the technology to turn off hosts slash all things electrical or all things synthetic with with the and and I guess Dolores knows about it and her last result her last resort after getting her arm chopped off 
was to just turn that off wasn't everything. A chop. It was a shot. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I just I, I conflated you. the sword and everything else. Um, but that she just pushed a button to turn off the non-human elements of everything that's going on, leaving basically Caleb is like the last person standing, the last being standing in this whole thing. Is that what happened? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, the question is, was it some sort of like EMP pulse that only has a certain radius? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to what kind of uh, what kind of range does that thing have? And or is it everything? And does it affect things? I mean, does it affect Rehoboam? Like I, Solomon, Solomon powered down, right? Yeah, but I guess Rule that could be a technology. range issue. Rule one of technology: if it's not working, turn it off and turn it on again. I think that's <laughs> okay. What we're so saying. then, right? But sometimes when you turn it back on again, you lose some of the work you've done, right? So. <laughs> What what happens if he does flick the button and does just does just Dolores get up? Is he able to do that? Do Dolores and Maeve get up immediately and they're like, okay, now we see something like that. That's the the, the first moments of the next episode will be crucial because obviously yeah. it's the finale. But what Caleb does next probably defines not only the season but where the show goes from here. I just can't. Can we just take a moment to appreciate the fact that Danny Heivitz is is wearing a Tampa Bay t shirt? and has a 12 pack of Heineken bottles in the background of the camera. I don't, I think this is just, Heifetz, is that, is that this homemade is, Tampa Bay? Do or did you, you've already, are you supporting small businesses by getting Tampa Bay shirts delivered? Uh, I just saw that Tom Brady filed the trademark and I was like, well, I want one of these shirts and I don't want to have to get it from Brady. So let me buy this before they approve the trademark. Cause I'm not going to give the money to TB 12. Lord knows. Oh man. Well, anyway, back to, back to the, what do you guys hand. wear for this podcast? You guys don't you don't wear Tom Brady related clothing for this podcast. I only, I only wear WWE sponsored Rob Gronkowski apparel from now. That's that's all <laughs> that I wear. Um, I don't even know what we were just talking about. Wait, what, what were we just talking? We're about? talking about what happens next. Basically, like what what is oh, Caleb's yeah, yeah, yeah. next obvious? Well, we talked it, a lot about Dolores's plan, but is it again? You know, this can just be a storytelling question or whatever. But like, is it is it wild to think that? Dolores is, Dolores has a really terrible plan. If it, if her plan involved sending Dolores Prime, the actual version of herself, into a into a gunfight where she could just get shot and killed, like why? If she if she can if she can make if she can make other versions of herself, why would she be on the ground at all? Why or why would she not have a backup brain sitting in a CPU somewhere? Yeah, like the Lord of the Rings when Gandalf and all those horses come down, but it's just an army of Delori, like 10,000 ones just come riding in. Like I, I, I'm i not going to lie, I kind of expected that because they had that factory of like four episodes ago. I kind of actually did think there were going to be thousands of them coming in for backup. Just never and happened. It, she has an earpiece where she can seemingly do everything, but then when it comes time right. to actually do something important, it's just like so her and Caleb and a drone out left up their own devices. So that's why this is this will be my little leap of faith, just like Dolores took a leap of faith by hitting that button. My little leap of faith here is that they had them falling down and the button and the fact that really the fact that Solomon turned off when Maven Dolores turned off tells me that something about Solomon and, and the AI running the world is related to what Maven and Dolores were doing there in the first place. I have no idea what the connection is, but they have to be connected because why on earth did the button pull it? If it's about an EMP pulse and this is just like Ocean's 2053, sure. But like, I, I don't think it's about EMP. I think it's that they're connected. Is it as simple as they are in the midst of one of Solomon's simulations right now? And, all, and what she did was just to turn that simulation off, leaving... The only person who is external to the simulation being that being Caleb alone and different. 
and I don't know if this is the right answer, but the simplest answer is that the button is related to the two realities. Yeah, exactly. I think the button is somehow related to the two realities, whether it just is like a little toggle back and forth. I have no idea. But that's the only thing that would really make sense to me. I think Um, a a good way to round third here, though, is to understand like the playing field to the extent that we can. Because like, I'm curious from you guys, like where William is, is, you know, on some kind of war path heading back somewhere um, after having this sort of, you know, of group therapy session in the previous episode and, and kind of realizing like what his mission is again, where does he fall on the, the Maeve Dolores side of things or is he playing a different game altogether? Yes. Okay. This is, this is really interesting. Let's take a quick backup here. Let's rewind for a second. This episode opens with our guy Mushashi, Yakuza boss with Dolores in his head, um, with Dolores' brain, I guess, um, chilling in the same Jakartan cafe that Sirak was with, with Maeve earlier in the season, although I guess that one was a simulation version. Is that all right, Heifetz? Oh, I, I, was that the same place? I don't know if that's uh, the God, same I place. just assumed it was. I could be crazy. I, I don't I'm, think I'm so. probably totally wrong. But so they're hanging out at a bar and um, they're, they're, they have some dealings going on. They're about to leave. He gets a call from Charlotte and Charlotte's like, um, you know, Dolores doesn't care about any of us. So I'm, I'm, I'm fighting against her now. And she's given his location to two of Maeve's new teammates who are Clementine and uh, what's her name? Hanarayo. Yeah. Hanar. Yeah. Hanarayo. And, and so they show up and just like, they get into a gunfight and they all, and it ends up with Mushashi getting gutted. Good. Again, I'm not quite sure why everybody, why you can, why, you know, Clementine can survive machine gun fire, but like the knife to the stomach always can kill these hosts. Well, she, um, she did the three, the one eighty spin. Okay, that, maybe oh, they know exactly oh, how to do it. it. Was like a- but so anyway, <laughs> but so what we've established is either we talk, we spent a, last week a lot of time talking about whether or not it would even make sense for Charlotte to team up with you know with Team Maeve. But and who knows if she actually has? She might have just used them, used them. She might have just called in a tip to them, knowing that they would go after him. But it does seem that we it seem like we have now Charlotte slash Charloris, whatever you want to call her, is part of Team Maeve, and William is. Uh, well, we don't really know where Bernard and Stubbs lie. They're they're still doing the bidding of Dolores, but it right. does seem like they're going to be a, running, working against her. Well, I don't think they're doing the bidding of Dolores. I don't think. That's well, they're how they're, they're following a trail of breadcrumbs that she's laid out for them. The chessboard again. The ch- title's a chessboard, as Chris said. It's a chessboard episode. I think the chessboard right now looks like you've got for however far into the future. I don't know how Charlotte went from like all the burned skin to just perfectly fine again, but you've got. Charlotte seems to be aligned with Maeve, Clementine, Hanarayo, and we are guessing Hector, in whatever form he takes, is on one side. And then you've got Dolores, who is alive or not, who God knows. And you've got Caleb. That's it. Like, you've got the other Dolori, but their statuses are completely up in the air. There might be another one that we're not accounting for, but it's a the, the team is thin. They have no bench. They're like the Eagles receivers last year. Just like taking guys from the XFL and everything. That and then you got, noted, Danny. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just I just like the stats. Like Sean comes on, I talk about the Mets. It's like you're here. It's like you just got to get it in. So the, the, for the, the, I guess the reason why I even asked the question is that, that that's what makes this season different than the previous two. Is in the previous two seasons, 
there was an an endpoint of where all these characters were converging. Mm-hmm. And there and there sometimes we got like flashes of what we were gonna get earlier in the season and there would be sort of flash forwards or flashbacks and you know, we knew that um there was gonna be this sort of like culmination of things with Ford. We knew that there was this this um the valley beyond that people wanted to get to. It was always like an endpoint. And I don't know what the endpoint is here. So I almost wonder, given the uh not truncated, but the shorter burst of a season that we have here in some ways, whether or not we're going to be, we're going to look back and see three and four as one piece, because I don't know where it, it's hard to imagine a definitive endpoint for this season that will make us feel like, Oh, okay. I always knew that we were going this way. Yeah. I, I think the simplest way you could put it is that season one is here's the park with the robots and here are the rules this world is governed by. And then the end of season one is the rules shatter. And then season two is here is this world without rules. This is anarchy and what ensues. And then the end of season two is they leave the park. They go to the outside world. Season three, I think the simplest way we can put it is it's here is the real world and here are the rules it's governed by. And then I think all of the rules are about to come undone anarchy. And then season four might be here is the real world with real people just completely chaos and we've already seen that to some extent so maybe that won't be what season four is but i think that that is the the pattern we're seeing is it westworld rules west governed anarchy governed outside world to anarchy uh i don't know if they've done quite the good job of setting up what the orderly society kind of looked like i think there was a lot of allusions to it i think that makes a lot of sense i i guess i'm just tied up on i mean i remember i feel like last season saying half seriously that the worst possible course for the show is just to sort of every season introducing like another layer of of management of the Delos Corporation and then saying the new person in charge was the new big boss right I mean that's or the new big bad and that's sort of what we did this season with Ciroc it's just not Delos I guess he is now the, the owner of Delos but it's more just like oh it's a bigger world there's still an evil uh, uh you know tech, technology manipulating uh mind controller at the top of everything so I, mean, I just feel like I just feel like honest, honestly, like the worst thing that could happen, not the worst, but I would I'll be sorely disappointed if in next episode, if Ciroc dies or even if Ciroc is like straightforwardly defeated, because what did we just spend eight, eight, eight episodes doing except just like introducing, you know, a new queen on the chessboard and then and then throwing it, throwing it in the trash can. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying because like. I'm trained when I'm watching these shows, any show really, is to like sort out mirror images or pairs for the mm-hmm. characters. And I'm trying to figure out if Caleb and Sirach are are the pair. Obviously, oh. Sol- Solomon and Sirach would be uh, the one the one that would be obvious. But Solomon doesn't seem like he's going to be having a fruit salad anytime soon. So, is Caleb? Is it a, a battle for humanity among humans? Is where this eventually winds up. And that winds up making it, um, making the show a, a slightly different show next season. If it is Aaron Paul versus Vincent Cassell with their various armies. Bobby just messaged in to say if Ciroc is easily defeated, he'll have that real high sparrow energy, which I think is exactly <laughs> what I was trying to say. The, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that the if there's a pair for Caleb, it's not Ciroc. I think it's William because I think that, May, I mean, Maeve makes the direct illusion in this episode that just like, Dolores corrupted William, which I think is a very harsh way to put that. Uh, but May yeah. said that she corrupted Caleb just like he's done it before and with the obvious allusion to William and, and that Dolores has brought out the inner evil. I don't think that's a very 
fair interpretation. I think William brought out his own inner evil through Dolores, uh, but that maybe Dolores is using what she learned about that whatever ma- manipulation with Caleb. I, I, but so, I, but even then, I think, and then obviously there's the literal pairings that William and uh, Caleb are the only people we've seen wearing those goggles and have been reprogrammed. So I think that th- that's the pairing. Let's get to the nuts and bolts here, because we we're asking a lot of very theoretical questions, but we have some like real hard, like hard and fast ones. I feel like we can talk about William. Is he a human or a host as it stands right now? We had a we we were we felt very sure the last time we spoke that he was a host because that trailer, the teaser for this episode showed that picture of him with deceased next to his face. Um, Bobby was absolutely right. It was just a total. It was just a, a total trick, right? The idea is just that when Rehoboam throws you into the mental institution, they mark you as deceased so that everybody stops thinking about you and looking for you. Is that right? Seems the case. He also went out of his way to be like, I'm the only human here like twice. So I I think that they were very intentional about teasing that and then shutting it down. Yeah. And we don't really know what's next for him. Although he, he, all he keeps saying is he's dead set on destroying every host in the world. It may actually make him, a team a potential team up partner for Dolores if all they want to do is if he wants to kill the most hosts then you know go to the team that only has one host and kill all the rest of them um and then maybe they'll show maybe that'll be that you know he thinks he can take her on mano a mano at the end um what 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 else what, what was what was what is Charlotte up to I guess we didn't really talk about in depth it seems like she's reprinting herself or healing herself somehow and just kind of existing outside of things is there is there anything else about charlotte we need to go into just some me time right there yeah calgon take me away you know <laughs> she did look a little bit uh refurbished um at least from where we left her last yeah time. the other part comparing william and dolores is i mean we just saw william last episode like beat the shit out of all his past selves and in this one we've got dolores as like charlotte hunting down the other delori i mean she literally cuts musashi or she has friends cut musashi's head off and again musashi is dolores and charlotte is dolores so she is very much like they're fully differentiated now they want different things they're different people even though they're the same dolores i think so i think that's a huge note that charlotte is against dolores now yeah full on we we also were just talking about the uh, sirak and who his counterpart is what can we read into the hologram or the, the, the recording that Sirach made of himself, which was apparently talking to his brother as his brother was theoretically leaving the facility someday? Right. That he had that this was somehow Solomon had finally submitted to reprogramming, right? Like he had that the the rough edges had been sanded down. Yeah. And but but the Sirach recording said something to the effect of it's too bad I'm not there. I'm my the, this my my physical form didn't survive to be here for this moment. Well, okay, so then I, I, I know I'm going to be wrong here, but wouldn't that suggest that the worst possible thing that could happen to humanity is for Solomon's plan to start getting enacted? Yeah. Wouldn't it? Because he's like, okay, if you won, if this is the battle between the two brothers and then Solomon as exits, escapes somehow, his, whether it's like physically or your, your final strategy is enacted, this is the only way that I can communicate with you. I, I don't know. I, that's how I read it. I mean, my reading was that this is either the admission that Sirach is does not it does not exist as a human at all anymore, and that he's just an AI, or I guess the idea is that like if he did, if he is still a human and he does still exist and whatever, that he would have just been there in person. He would he'll know when his brother gets healed, and so there would be no reason right. for the recording, and he just made it in advance. I don't. 
I don't know. Hyphen, do you have any voicemails? Are so old, man. This is supposed to be a futuristic show, and you're out here leaving voicemails. Like, just shoot him a text, man. Um, was that not your takeaway? Yeah, though. That I think that's probably better than either of our takeaways. Um, who is? Who, I mean, do we do we think we have a pretty good handle on what Maeve's team looks like? We saw two of them in the beginning. Like I said, we all kind of theorized that there's some there's a Hector esque something that you know teammate that's about to show up to is there anything in anybody else that i mean is there anything else we need to talk about in terms of like team mave the only thing i was going to ask is like did you guys think that that was a little bit of a i mean i know that they that mave took some licks but i feel like dolores got her ass kicked were you surprised by that i feel like and maybe i mean i feel like every fight in this show sort of ends up in that direction right i mean it's just like there's you get to these one-on-one fights and and you know, theoretically, I guess they they should just be able to go on forever, right? These are right. two robots with all their attributes turned all the way up. So in order, so it's just we sort of fast forward our way through them, and it just feels like inadequate because you, you know, you wanted some super duper showdown. I um, so well, I, I the thing. First of all, yes, Dolores got her ass whooped for sure. But I, David, earlier in this episode, you were like, "Yeah, no, Katana versus Gun. I don't have to ask any questions. I'm fine with it." I'm not gonna lie; I was asking questions because all I could think was, "Let me get this straight." Maeve took an autonomous helicopter drone with auto aiming 50 caliber bullets like being shot, but she gets off of it with a sword to go get someone who she knows has guns. And I was just so confused about the continued like katana usage, which I have no idea why this is a thing other than shows trying to pay homage to like samurai movies. And it's a any lifestyle choice. Beyond, yeah. Like it's it's a branding decision. Maeve's dedication to the katana and the fact that she didn't bring anything except this sword. I'm sorry, it was distracting. It looked cool. I get why it's it like cool. a nice secondary weapon. It would like, be like if it, an NBA player was playing in Chucks. You know, like, it's like, sure, it's the original. Well, it's, I think even more broadly. It's like you warm they, up in them. You don't do the main game in your warm-up shoes. No, but I think even more broadly, the question is why would why would either of them think that it's worth having a physical fight? Like what? Like we literally just saw the drone thing. But don't. But yeah, we the, the drone thing is a possibility. The drone thing basically turned the. I mean, you know, won this fight for Maeve, and uh, up until you know whatever happened after that. When but Dolores, why, but, had, but, but Dolores had but this if you drone have, thing too. But if both of you have all of your attributes turned all the way up, then why, like, shouldn't this just be like two people sitting in a room trying to figure out a way to outfox the other person and not like, like, no matter what, like a hand to hand combat, guns, knives, swords, whatever you have, your odds are like hovering around 50% to win, right? I mean, isn't this isn't, this isn't a street fight where like one dude thinks he's worked out more than the other guy, you know, and so he has like a strength advantage. Like they both know that this is like a tie, right? Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a really, it's like really poor planning for all the planning that has been going on behind the scenes. Anyway, I don't care. I thought it was a cool fight. I thought it I mean, was I, a cool fight, but I'm just, I just, again, she took a like a gunship to this and gets off with a sword. That's the, I, I would just say that most fights in, in uh, non John Wick categories, I feel like usually take a little too much time up in in TV and movies because there's there's usually like a predicted outcome. But this one, I was like, I would watch like 10 minutes of drone fights. I, I, I would watch the two of them kicking each other out from under the shed 
and then getting attacked by drones would be sick if they wanted to do that for like 15 minutes. I think it would have been cool if the drone had shot off not just Dolores' arm, but like all of their arms and legs. And we just had like a like a uh, um, Monty Python and the Holy yeah. Grail, just like two <laughs> limbless like, hosts fighting wound. at each other. Yeah, it's just, just a flesh wound. They could, I would have watched that for hours. Um, okay. Uh, we gotta we gotta start turning towards the end here, and I feel like we've barely cracked it service on this. What else we need to talk about? What do you okay? What do we think Charlotte's gonna do, or is it Charlotte or Maeve? I don't know. With uh, Musashi's head and Dolores, the Dolores pearl that's inside. Oh, that's a trophy. You mount that. You don't think she's gonna? They're, they're not gonna repurpose that and and have like a have a a good guy Dolores that's gonna like come riding to their rescue at the end. That Framebridge. That feels very endgame for me. That's like that's like the the Dolores breaking good. Or whatever it is. I not that Dolores has ever really broken bad. I mean, everything about in this show is about like the perspective from which you view these these things, but some sort of like turn for Dolores feels needed soon. I think that if the head is specific for a moment, it's that Dolores's head has the key mm-hmm. to the sublime. Whether the copies of the Dolores have it, we're not sure. Oh, we don't but know. that's so the question is could they use Musashi's head to get everyone the whole gang back together from the valley beyond um which would be cool also might be confusing because they really haven't shown that that exists they've talked about it but it might be a little confusing but it would be interesting to see if those characters come back into play uh last thing before we move on to the awards talking about needing a shift for some this this was the episode for me where i I guess because i'm realizing it's the second to last episode the season where i'm just like man bernard didn't do shit this episode this season (laughs) like bernard was on like a like a constant a constant uh like he was like jogging laps that that were just uh, the track was in the circle of uh, like the infinity sign or something like it was just like nothing nothing he's doing matters at all does it yeah it felt a little contractual obligations to jeffrey wright you know, in a weird way, it would have been a good season for Bernard to just not to take to take the playoff and then come back mm-hmm. in season four. I felt like him and Stubbs's journey has been a, a little unrewarding. And he's like the Jimmy McNulty in season two, just like, oh, he's just gone. Yeah, it's like he's still on the show. So we're supposed to think about it in those terms. But I feel like most of his character development or re- revelations have already happened for him. And he needs to have like a new mission. Watching him and Stubbs just be like, I guess we're going to follow this guy who just said he was going to kill us. You know, like that. Would, I just, <laughs> I was kind of like, you guys didn't need to do this, right? You need, it's also annoying because these you essentially be needed, a, you needed a character to find William. That's, I understand that, but that's about it. They also can't be the smart ones and they'd be like, I'm going to kill you. So kill me. And then they like pulls a gun on him and they're like, what? Yeah. It was well, just, that was also speaking, speaking of smarts, so we, we were pre- last time we were discussing whether or not this was all part of the, the that whether Dolores sent them there to get to to find uh, William, and they asked that question specifically this week. The answer was no. They sent him there. They Dolores sent Bernard there to figure out what Sorak had been up to, and William being there was just sort of a coincidence because she had tracked him separately. But this all seems like a really elaborate. Like even if you take him at their word, this seems like a really ineffectual plan. But I guess we don't need to dwell on that uh, too long, right? I mean, is there? I think I think you're right. This feels like a very functional season for Bernard, and, and you know maybe he'll redeem himself next episode. We will see. Um, so before we get into the awards, what do we need from the episode eight from the finale? I mean, there's so many balls are in the air right now. We have uh, 
Caleb's war uh, to either to save or to destroy humanity. We have whatever Dolores' master plan is. We have Maeve trying to stop her to save her daughter, to rescue everyone in the valley beyond, to whatever. Uh, we have Bernard trying to stop Dolores too, although he seems very far away and held at gunpoint. Like, what do we need? What, do we, what are we waiting for in the, in the finale? What, 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 do, what do we think is going to happen? I think there needs to be some sort of contraction. This show has been expanding since its debut, you know, adding on layers, adding on layers of um, of misdirection, adding on characters. And that's pretty common for TV shows is once you have a successful formula, you try to add similar ingredients to it. So you're just saying, okay, I, if, if this worked the first time, let's bring in another person that's kind of like that who can learn from the previous characters. But now I feel like it's like you've got a pretty full ensemble and you've got a lot of different objectives and we need to sort of arrive at what's the show's objective? What's the story of Westworld in the second half of its run? Let's say if this thing runs for five or six seasons even. Is it Caleb's show? Is this about Caleb's defending humanity against hosts? Or is it about Caleb recognizing that hosts have more humanity than humanity? Like, what's the, what is that goal? I think it's a great question. Danny, what do you think? Uh, I need the prestige. Like, in another Nolan mm-hmm. movie, it's like there's three parts to every magic yeah, yeah. trick, right? There's the pledge, there's the turn, and then there's the prestige. I need the prestige. And I need, like, just the same way that the most effective storytelling trick this whole season has done has been that Dolores is in, not just is Dolores and Charlotte, she's in all these characters, which was a beautiful magic trick because not only was it a fulfilling and satisfying reveal, it made the show simpler, which sounds crazy to talk about with, like, four characters or one, but it's simplified in terms of who you have to keep track of and motivations, and it's intriguing. I need a prestige around this mirror world, the simulation stuff. They have to come back to it, and I will be floored if they are able to make a whole, like, hey, like, gotcha. There's been two worlds going on the whole time. One of these has been a simulation, both or whatever, but it also can simplify the season. And if it actually helps me lock everything in place easier, by revealing there's been a simulation of some kind, that is what I think I need. Because like the twist making it all makes sense. For all of my, you know, occasional complaints about the show, about the storytelling, whatever else, there is this like we we feel like we're in we're in good hands with the show for good reason, right? I mean, it's but it's just the the pacing. Like like Chris was sort of alluding to earlier, the pacing of the show is is uh, a little bit unusual at times, right? It goes against where so our expectations so much, but like. You know, we asked in episode one, or we were talking about whether or not Rico was part of Rehoboam or an external thing. And this, you know, six episodes later, they're just like, yeah, we had to do that to keep all the, you know, kind of bad actors in check and to like give give the outliers a place to kind of exist separately. And that makes total sense. And they just kind of threw it in there. Right. But it seemed but like the, the, the bigger idea I I continue to believe is like is solid and is incredibly interesting. And you're right. Next episode, what we need is just to for them to tell us what's been going on behind, you know, what the gear shifting behind the scenes all season have been about. Precisely. I hope that it gets the gears turning in your heads instead of like halting them. (laughs) Um, All right, let's get to the awards. Uh, Award number one for the biggest or most shocking reveal. And now I finally understand what you were trying to tell me. Chris, do you have a nominee? I think I think Caleb being the 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 Cody killer. Uh, I think that that's the only. I mean, William being. I think we we established that there was no big reveal with William's uh, mortality. Um, 
Although now I guess like the, the betting odds are shifted in the favor of him actually being a host because we were just told that he was not in fact dead. But um, to me, the Caleb, I mean, Caleb, the, the big reveal is Caleb. And, and, and to me, it's so I'm kind of more interested in the fact that he was a uh, contract killer of other outliers or, or, you know, rounder upper of other outliers than um, the fact that he killed Francis. Cause I kind of suspected that all along, but I guess the killing Francis was the reveal. Heifetz, you, you, you picked the winner. Yeah, him killing Francis. I I, right. I was also more surprised by the contract killing. I'm also surprised they're going to let Ked Cuddy leave the show without him humming even a single time, which is just like a complete waste of talent. <laughs> All right, uh, best quote of this episode, Heifetz. Do you have a, Do you have a Do you have a nominee? Do you know now who you've been talking to? Yeah, don't lecture me, you fucking can opener. <laughs> it was <laughs> unbelievable. I think that's just a winner. Yeah, um, that's got to be it. I mean, there was there was the there was the Dolores bit that that we actually alluded to last episode, where she said, uh, "For the first thirty five years of my life, I was a bit player, the rancher's daughter." But when the time came, you know, I knew I had to be more. Kind of talking I, to, I kind of wish we and I, I wish kind of we'd seen this tease from William more. I mean, I, it it makes total sense, and it, and it kind of explains a lot of his the way he acted on Westworld. But it did sort of seem like weird turn for him maybe not maybe just because you have to exist with hosts in the outside world it never comes out but i think i think it's great i think it's i I wish that we saw more of this kind of thing too um and finally the third award that this maze was not meant for you award for the dumbest human there's no humans in this uh, that deserve it i don't care if they're human or not the the dumbest thing that happened in this episode was bernard and stubbs i know they're not human i don't care they get the award we are making an exception because william looked them in the eye and was like not only kill will you. I kill your entire species, I'm going to kill you two first. So kill me now or I'll kill you later. Walks away and Bernard's like, we may need him. And they apparently just followed and got in a car with him and just kept rolling along and just inexplicable. Didn't tie him up nothing. They're just like, okay, let's just keep rolling with this dude. Um, I was going to say the the people in uh, Crimea, the soldiers in Crimea, they didn't realize they could just take their jacket off to not get bombed. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's fine. We'll make an exception and give it to Bernard. I would also say the other <laughs> Crimean residents who didn't notice this suspicious group of guys wearing the same pair of glasses. Yeah, and Do every time think- one of them went to buy a pack of smokes, they, like the place blew up five seconds later. Like, yeah, that was- and they were always like, yeah, you know, the purse cigarettes went up, and they're like, that's fine. I have thousands of American dollars. <laughs> Do you think one of the the sides of this Russian Civil War, their director of cybersecurity was Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Uh, Chris Ryan, thank you so much for being on. Danny, thank you as always. We're, we will be back here on Wednesday for Tinfoil Tuesdays, your Tuesday-Wednesday tradition. Um, and then we'll be back again one week from today after episode eight, the finale of this season to wrap, to wrap things up or start wrapping things up. You can email us as always at the recapables Westworld at gmail.com until then have a wonderful evening. Humanoids. Humanoids.